You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, that was awesome, was it not? I don't know about you, but I want to break every chain after that song. I don't know what chain it is, but it's about to be broken. <laughs> Feel, feeling a tad bit inspired after that. Well, good morning, people. How are we doing? How are you feeling in Summerfest 2023? This is an annual thing now. Yes, we do this as a South Bay Church. Hopefully you have a wonderful time today. Uh, this is my youngest son on an impromptu hello. Had no idea he was walking up right now. This is not a part of the sermon, but you know we're amongst family. So amen for that. Good to see you, buddy. You want to say hi? Hi. Great job. Give Cyrus a round of applause. So I had an icebreaker, but man, that's way better than anything else I was about to plan. <laughs> In any case, um, have a, it's, it's a good, I think it's a pretty decent sermon we're going to have today. We've been going through, uh, as we mentioned before, this uh, series entitled Dinner with Jesus, right? So we're looking at Jesus' interaction with people around the quote-unquote dinner table. And so and you get some very powerful, very profound situations that occur. With a, a, a myriad of people of on all subsections of society, you, you see grace. You can uh, watch a community be forged. Uh, you, you can see a mission that's being established all over the quote-unquote dinner table. And so today, hopefully, you feel some semblance of spiritually uh, uh, you know, being fed this morning. And before we get this lesson, I think since I'm preaching, it's only a fit that we pray. We don't know what's going to happen, so we've got to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for opportunities like this where we're able to worship you, God, out in the open, enjoying the beautiful air, enjoying your creation, being able to sing songs to you, to worship you, God, to acknowledge your power, your majesty, your character, your glory. We lift our voices up to you, God. We, we pray for the rest of the service today, God. We pray for this, this time where we preach the word of God, and, and as we go into just different passages, allow our hearts to be open. Allow our minds to be opened. Allow the sin that entangles and just the thoughts and attitudes and actions. I don't know if you came here and sometimes we come to service and we drove here. We're upset because someone cut us off or we had an argument with our spouse. Whatever it is, God, allow us to shed everything that entangles and to open our hearts to your word. That we leave today a little closer to you and closer to one another. Thank you so much for this time, God. We pray this in Jesus' holy, perfect name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right. So today, uh, for our scripture, I think it's only fitting since that we're at a semi-picnic that we cover a passage that also deals with a picnic-type scenario. Now, I, didn't, I wish I could say in my forethought and wisdom, I planned it perfectly so that we'd go through when Jesus feeds the 5,000 on the exact same uh, day as Summerfest. I didn't plan that. But the Holy Spirit did. And so we're going to go through one of these amazing miracles that you find in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But before we do that, I want you to think of what a, a picnic slash cookout slash barbecue means to you. Now, for some of you, what is the food? Just one, you go and pick one food. What's the food that comes to mind when you think of a barbecue or a cookout? We're going to start with Jacques. Jacques said ribs. I think he licked his fingers while he said ribs as well. Even though there's no barbecue sauce, so I don't know why he did that. Anybody else? Raise your hand. 
Little man in the back. Hot dogs. That's a good one. You go. Oh, sorry. Macaroni salad. Macaroni salad. Not to be confused with macaroni and cheese. Anybody else? Coleslaw. He's, he's the, uh, the uh, 17% that really enjoy coleslaw. And I'm a part of that, too, so don't hate. I, you know, I was trying to be nice. We're among the body. <laughs> Anybody else? Burgers. Is that it? Oh, we're over here. Yeah. French fries. You got to have French fries, right? Where, where, where's the adobo at? Where's the adobo at? I don't hear it. No one said mac and cheese? Fruit, you know, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about that. That, that. That's Yeah, we got some chicken. What about carne asada? Woo, vamonos. Tacos. See, it's not just Taco Tuesday. It's every single cookout. You know, we all have our kind of our versions and ideas of what a cookout looks like. Thank you, Sai Sai, for uh, the second uh, time you've uh, spoken today. <laughs> you know, we have uh, different ideas of, of, of picnics and cookouts, and this is the interesting one that we find in Luke 9, and again, in all the other Gospels. Uh, the backdrop for this story, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, some of you may or may not remember, two things were going on. One of which, Jesus just sent out his disciples, right? So he had his 12, he had another, you know, grand, grand total 72, and he sent them out to preach in the nearby villages and towns. And you're talking about the kingdom of God and to repent, to get ready for this amazing kingdom of which God wants us to be a part. And they come back and they share all these wonderful stories that had happened. You know, how literally demons submitted in their name and they did all these crazy miracles with the authority of Jesus. The other contextual point that's worth mentioning is that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. So there was a dinner party with King Herod, and his daughter performed a dance in front of all the dinner guests. And King Herod, you know, kind of making this boast amongst his guests, says, you know what, wherever you want, daughter, up to half the kingdom, I'll, I'll give it to you. What would you like? And King Herod's wife, who did not like John the Baptist, who was upset that John the Baptist was preaching against their marriage and that they were oh, breaking the Jewish law, she whispers to her daughter and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And that's exactly what the daughter requests. So this is the backdrop for this Luke 9 story. I don't know how you feel when you go through something that's challenging or or difficult. In this case, the death of a a family member. And Jesus grew up with John the Baptist. If you remember the story of Mary and Elizabeth, their their bellies were full simultaneously. Right? So they, they grew up together. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. They're close. So he just lost the family member. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 9. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, 
You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and, and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. It says about 5,000 men were there. So if you look at the scholarly you know, estimations, about 10,000 if you include women and children. So for frame of reference, this is half of Crypto.com Arena at your picnic. And Jesus and about you know, 72 of his buddies say, tells them, especially the 12, uh, you feed them. What would be your first thought? <laughs> really, Jesus, do you know the logistics of what you're asking? Where's our resources? How are we going to do this? But Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, I don't know about you. I've been around the Bible for a little bit, and I've read this story um, I don't know how many times. <laughs> but when the word of God is preached, when you dig into Scripture, no matter how many times you've read it, now how many times you've been to church, how many times you've done your own personal Bible study, the word of God speaks. Amen? Amen. It speaks this morning. I love how Jesus, amidst intense inner turmoil and hurt and pain and anguish. I don't know how you feel when you're going through something, but my knee-jerk reaction when I experience a difficult situation that really just gets to the heart, it hurts, right? I just want to go eat some ice cream. I want to go sit on the couch and, and, and have a blanket and just kind of curl up and just be in my emotions. I don't want to go serve 10,000 people. <laughs> and there's, so that's a point right off the bat, right? You see Jesus dealing with his emotions with God, because you still have to process it, right? You can't just ignore it. And some of us have that habit, right? We want to be busy, and you might be a type A personality, so we just kind of do things, and we're busy. We always have something on the go, and then our emotions just we kind of suppress, and we keep it under until one day it comes rushing to the surface, Right? Jesus was able to balance dealing with that which he felt, not hiding, and at the same token, the same vein, taking care of those who so desperately needed him. When I go through my emotions, the question I have to ask myself, and amidst all that inner turmoil, is are my emotions Lord, or is Jesus Lord? Do I given to the circumstances of my situation and where I think the ship is headed. And, you know, you know as, as a minister, right, you, you deal with people, right? And if you do ministry correct, you have to pour your heart in everything you do. If you do anything in life properly, it is a venture that involves your heart, your mind, body, and soul. And so what happens when you put your heart out there? Undoubtedly, you get hurt. You get burned. You get discouraged. You get frustrated. You go through a whole gamut of raw emotions. And that's something that, at least for myself, I, I'm, a, I'm Latino, man. I'm three-quarters Mexican. I feel a lot. There's a lot of emotions going through here. I have to process them all with God. I have to have these conversations where I shed the necessary tears because I don't want to go through 
religious motions. I don't want to go through situations where I just, I'm robotic in nature and I operate off rote memory and I live this life minus my heart. So I have to filter and just go to those places where I'm hurting and say, God, help me with what I feel. Because like Jesus, you see the multitudes. You see the crowds of people who desperately need something. In this case, there were some that went for food, right? You know, just, there's many that also went for the miracles. They saw this guy, so it's kind of like a traveling circus of Jesus performing. He's a rock star. Okay, wait, he just healed the sick? Wait a minute, he just cast it out. What? Let's go see what this is about. There's others that came because they wanted a deeper knowledge of God. They were waiting for a Savior. We look at this passage. It's interesting because Jesus tells his road dogs, his buddies, his rider dies, his disciples, he tells them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. John 6, I like the way it describes it, because again, this story is in all four Gospels. Let me pull it up real quick. It says this in John 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Here's the reality of our challenges in life. Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. Let that sink in for a second. We don't live this life like we're kids, or like we say ants with the, you know, getting uh, hit up by the magnifying glass and the kid just kind of burning. Like, it, it, there's not just this, this cruel randomness of life. There is intentionality. There is a divine creator who's in control. Yes, we live in a world of evil. Yes, we're going to go through hardships. But perhaps, perhaps our creator knows exactly what he's doing. Perhaps there is tests where he wants to see how do we respond to the challenges that are in front of us? How do you react when you're feeling what you feel? It doesn't mean that our emotions are going to be perfect every 0.5 seconds. It doesn't mean your knee-jerk reaction has to be, oh, I love Jesus and I love God and the Bible's true and everything's perfect. But after you feel what you feel, where do you go? Where do you go amidst these tests of life? We all go through them. Some of us might feel like church is going through a lot and we don't like the direction of church. Some of you might feel like you don't like the direction of your marriage right now. Some of you might feel like you don't like the direction of where your kids are headed. Some of you might feel like you don't like the direction of your career. Fill in the blank. But here's the truth. The truth is that Jesus is still Lord. The truth is, it's not so much whether the outcome is going to be favorable. God's going to do exactly what we need every single time. The truth is, is what is revealed. What comes out when we experience the tests, when we go through it as a church, when we go through it as a movement, when we go through it in our personal lives, what 
is revealed. Jesus said, you feed them. It's interesting. He knew they didn't have the power to do that. But he knew that he did. As simple as that sounds, if we know where the power comes from and we go to that power source, we're able to distribute a spiritual food to a world that so desperately needs it, that is starving, dying for some kind of food that is eternal, that is permanent. The, the peace and the joy and the love that everyone so desperately seeks, God says, I'm going to use you to distribute that spiritual food. And you know what happens? Miracles happen. When you're in a situation and you feel like God can't work, perhaps on the other side of that is a miracle. So many of his experience, God worked time and time again in our personal lives. I like to dream. I like to have vision in situations that don't make sense. Like, I'll, I'll, you, you want to hear one? I got one for the South Bay Church. I got, I got a vision. It don't make sense right now, but it's my impossible prayer. It's one of the many that I have. I want a building for the South Bay Church. Amen. I do. Now, if you're thinking logistics, finances, current emotional state, spiritual, this, that, and the other, you might say, Rhett, <laughs> pump the brakes. It's not tequerisi in the words of Nacho Libre. It's not time yet. There's going to be phases and processes for that. And as someone that's worked in private and public sector, I fully appreciate due diligence and a budget and all the things that work into that. But you know what? That doesn't stop me from dreaming. It doesn't stop me from having a vision. What do you want to see God do in your life, in situations that don't make sense? When Jesus says, you feed them. What do you want to see for this church? Well, Rhett, I don't know if this is a time to dream. Right? People are just hurting. and We're all hurting. Everyone's going through something. And that's not to minimalize it. But that's to say that on the other end, of those tests, on the other end of that suffering, on the other end of that uncertainty, is God working. That's what I will venture towards. That's what I will pursue. That will be the vision. I want to just hold on to it and never let it go and fight for the things that God desires. Work on the master's work. Consume myself with his glory. And what's his glory for us? His glory for us is a family, a spiritual family that loves him and puts him first. A spiritual family that fights for each other. Let's be honest. We live in California. We live close to the water. Some, for some of us, our financial situation is going quite well. I'm on minister budget, so I can't say that. But, you know, for some of us, you guys are doing good. What happens with all these blessings if we're not careful. It's one word. Starts with a C, ends with a complacency. That word is complacency. That word is comfort. Dare I say go biblical for a second, and that word, if we're not careful, can be lukewarmness. We can get really comfortable. 
So what the temptation is, is, is to kind of distance ourselves from the trials. We set up a life that has these, these nice little hedges, these nice little boundaries, and it's safe, we're protected. We don't have to go through a lot emotionally. We don't have to do a lot in terms of sacrifice. We do just enough that's good for our situation. But here's the problem with that. Then you get those results. What happens if the disciples said, hey, you know what? We're going to do our best to try to feed these 10,000 people minus the miracles of Jesus. So let's get a couple loaves. Let's try to gather some money. We'll go to town. How many do you think they would have fed? A couple hundred? Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to go through the tests and in the middle of those tests, see what God is trying to teach us and show us? Because if we do that, if we put ourselves on a ledge, if we make ourselves uncomfortable, we're able to see amidst our inner turmoil and trials and pains, we're able to see miracles that would not have happened otherwise had we not put ourselves out there for God. I have a question for you guys before Rico comes up and shares some of his story. Does the pain and difficulty of life usher you into the arms and the authority of God or into self-isolation? I'll say it again. Does the pain and difficulty of life usher you into the arms and authority of God or into self-isolation? God desires us to be interdependent, not independent. God desires us to know about each other's lives, not so we can gossip about it, but so we can lift up each other's arms. God wants us engaged in each other's lives. Do you get that point? God wants us, he wants us engaged in each other's lives. Carrying our burdens, pursuing a mission together, giving the best of ourselves that we have, not to our professions, but to one another and to his kingdom. I encourage you, whatever you're going through this morning, just the apostles were able to see a miracle simply because they were obedient to God. Allow yourself through your obedience to see all the, God, all the ways that God works, irrespective of whatever we're going through at the moment. At this time, I give you our very own Rico McClinton. He's getting older, so that walk up the stage takes longer, you know. I'm just kidding. He'll beat me up. All right. All right. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Um, I have 10 minutes, so I'm going to make it quick, hit some points. Um, I want to be able to share, see how far God has brought me. So I'm going to share some things in my character that were pretty, uh, maybe dark. I'm just going to be honest. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, my mom, two siblings, um, my brother and sister, when I was growing up, were in gangs. Some advice my mom gave me, I always held to, was if somebody hits you, hit them back. If they're bigger than you, pick something up and hit them over the head with it. That's from my mom, who I adored. She's my best friend. So, um, one day when I was younger, I came around the corner, I was crying. And I told my brother, I said, what happened? I said, this big guy was picking on me. 
he comes around the corner. He's older than me, but he's actually small. And they started laughing. <laughs> they said, look how small he is. I'm like, but he's older than me, right? So instead of helping me, they, they tease me. I'm like, okay. They said, Never, don't ever do that again. So I took that to heart, and I began to fight a lot. So I grew up fighting. I grew up... Uh, figuring that if someone disrespected me as a man, that meant they wanted to fight, so why waste time arguing? Let's just fight. Um, I didn't think communicating with another man made sense. So I fought a lot. And um, when I got in junior high, I did something stupid. Got kicked out of the uh, LA Unified School District for a year. No school would take me. So I had to go to school at a church. And then after I completed that, I was able to go back into the L.A. public school system, ended up in Henry Clay Junior High, which is in the inner city, which is filled with gangs. So the first day there, I almost got into a fight. Guy tested me. We circled up. People came and broke it up, and then no one else bothered me, but then me and this gentleman ended up becoming friends because he tested me. I guess I passed the test. And then um, I, I, I didn't get kicked out of there. Made it to high school, but then I had another good friend of mine, and uh, he was kind of rough, but we were really close, so we were up to no good one night. We go to a neighborhood, somebody recognized him, they, uh, they pull over, we happened to be carrying, we both had weapons on us at the moment for something else, they left, came back, they left, we're sitting on my front porch, me and him, and I see him come around the corner, the lights are off, I'm like, it's about to happen, so to be honest, we exchanged gunfire, right? And they, they left, I got up, checked on my friend, he was good, I said, okay, I'll see you in the morning, and I went to bed. The next morning, police come to my house, they question me, make up a story, they say, okay, they take, take all the information, and then a week later, me and my friend go to that neighborhood, up to no good, and this time I have a bigger gun. So we stop talk to some girls, and the police come. Well, they pat me down. They find it. Draw it down. I go to jail. And now I'm in jail, and I'm like, wow, this sucks, right? It's people telling you what to do, when to get up, when to eat. You're just in a room by yourself. So I, I was already working out, so I did my push-ups and my, my, my abs. I'm like, I'm about to just keep working out. And... Um, then they put me in charge of the weight room. So I'm like, great, I can work out. So I was going back and forth to court, you know, contemplating, thinking about things. And I remember the last time, I was in there for 30 days, 30 days, able to think about things. And I remember the last day the judge goes, look, I'm going to give you a year's probation. If you do one more thing, I'm going to give you three years. I'm not going to ask you any questions. You're getting, you're getting three years. I'm like, cool. Not going to see me again. So I, I cleaned up, stopped hanging out with that friend, ended up going to church in Inglewood. This is my experience with churches. It was an all-black church, great lessons, learning about the Bible. But then I started feeling like I cannot live up to all of these things he's talking about. Because at the time, he never talked about any of his struggles. So I'm like, I can't live up to this. I, I'm still messing up. I didn't see a man standing up in front of people with flaws. I saw a man who knew God's word and spoke eloquently 
taught us God's word, but I saw no struggles in his life. He didn't talk about that. So I couldn't connect. So I quit going. And um, I have started training, bodybuilding. My, my dream was to be a bodybuilder. Um, so I went to El Camino College. I studied kinesiology, anatomy, all these things. But I wasn't going to church. But I was training to be a bodybuilder. Started competing. Started doing really great at it. But in the meantime, I was working at clubs in Hollywood and still had the character of fighting. So I would, someone got out of line, me and my good friend worked there. We would just fight. And I was in my 20s, right? So that's what we would do. It was still deeply ingrained in my character of respect and taking respect, you know, and, and it meant so much to me at that time. And I was competing. I was doing great. And I was in magazines. I was living my dream. I was like, man, this is amazing. Man, this, I'm doing this. And then I remember winning a show. And I've trained hard. I won that show. And I remember sitting backstage around my friends. I'm like, wow, this is it? I'm like, hmm, something's missing. But I didn't think about it. I kept training for the next show, you know. And I was training, competing. Then getting ready to go to work one night to get a phone call from my, my dad. My um, mom was remarried time. Tells me my mom died on her way back from Vegas. So now I get hit with this. I'm like, oh, my mom is dead. So now I'm like, oh, I got to get this aggression out of me. So now I'm dying for somebody to get out of line when I go to work because I, I, that's the only way I knew how to deal with pain and anger. So I fought, right? But I continued to train. But then I was married at the time. And I went to a friend's party and I said, look, we're going to this party because he's a friend of mine. I don't do drugs. I'm like, he may be, they may be doing drugs. We're just going to go celebrate his birthday and leave. While there, another friend invites my ex-wife to this church. The singing's great. The singing's amazing. Come, she's like, the singing's amazing. The church is great. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. But don't talk about me. Don't tell them anything about me. Tell me whatever you want about you. Don't, don't talk about me to those people, right? So I come. People are hugging. I'm like, please. Um, they're asking for my number. I'm like, please. Um, I thought it was very strange, right? And then I saw this guy preaching, and he knew God's word, right? And I kept going. Then I saw people in each other's lives. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Then I saw what we see here today. I saw a lot of diversity. I'm like, this is interesting. And then I saw this gentleman talk about his struggles. He was not only preaching God's word. He talked about he still had struggles. He was vulnerable. He was open. I was able to start to connect with this guy. So I started studying the Bible with the brother Chuck Bray and uh, Steve Lounsbury, all these guys doing my studies. And then I said, man, I, my heart was so dark. I, I just don't think I'm worthy of this. Like Jesus was perfect. I don't think I'm worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I just don't. So it was hard. I, was, I, I studied for years. I, I was, kept coming. And then Chuck tells me, I never forget. I never forget this. Chuck goes, you know that, that Paul was Saul, right? I'm like, no, really? I'm like, I didn't do what he did. I'm good to go, right? <laughs> so I studied, finished him up, got baptized. November 4th, 2000, right? And I was like, this is amazing, you know? And when I quit bodybuilding just to get baptized, I walked away from the sport that I love because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. So I said, I'm just going to quit bodybuilding. I want to focus on this. And I walked away. And I had wanted more kids, 
And when I quit bodybuilding, I had my, my other kids, my daughter Trinity and my son Cross. And I knew that was God blessing because I quit just to, for relationship with him. And I was living my dream. I mean, I had, my, I had a contract. I was, in the, I was doing what I wanted to do. But I knew God and the relationship with God was more important than anything else. So I got baptized. Fast forward, things are going great, leading the group, right? And I'm like, man, this baptism thing is good. God is amazing. This church is amazing. And then my ex-wife, almost teenager, goes, hey, I don't want to be married anymore. I want to find myself. And then, boom, shocker, right? One of the most hardest things I ever went through other than my mom's passing. My, my close friends know that. I felt the same pain I felt when my mom died. It's the exact same pain. So I had to think about it. And I said, when I was driving one day, about to go on the freeway, and I heard a voice. I tell people this. I never forget it. It says, why do you think you shouldn't go through something when Jesus went through what he went through? Who are you to think that way? Right? So then I said, you're right. Let me now figure out on not why am I going through this, but what are you teaching me through this? So it changed my perspective. Then I began to focus on what God was teaching me and allowing him to refine my character. Because even though we're disciples, times of refinement will come to you. Because God always wants to take you to another level. He doesn't want us to stay the same. You know, it was like what Rhett was saying about complacency. We get to a point where things are good and we don't realize we've gotten complacent. We think, I'm doing good, I'm not missing, I'm going to show up to all the meetings, you know, I, I'm serving, but you can still be underneath complacent. You know, so I just want to share two quick scriptures. I'm going to pray. And I want to say that through God and trusting in God, man, your life can change dramatically because uh, <laughs> this is going to be funny. But I haven't had a fight in a long time, okay? I have not. And I haven't had a desire to fight. And I've been disrespected since I've been a disciple. And, and the funny thing is, I, I've been focusing on love and the Bible, the scriptures in uh, 1 Corinthians. And I picked the word out to focus on. And the word I picked out was kindness, right? Because it says love is kind, love is patient. So I'm going to focus on one of the aspects of what love is, and I'm going to drill that in my character. I said no matter what someone does to me, my goal is to be kind back to them. I'm not going to meet them where they're at. I'm going to be kind. If they're disrespectful, if they're angry, even if I feel like I don't deserve it, I'm going to be kind because that's what Jesus wants me to be. He wants me to be an example of who he was. So that's what I focus on in my character now. And I'm going to read this one scripture. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us home, hold firstly to the faith we profess. So we have to hold firmly to it. We have to trust it. Another, another scripture said, let us hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. And really quick, I'm going to share it. I'm about to get off. You think about when you're driving on the freeway. If you see somebody swerving back and forth, what do you do? You slow down. Because something about that person is unstable. It's untrustworthy. They don't look stable in what they're doing. So we don't, don't want to get close to them. Because they might hurt us. Because something bad could happen. That's why we should hold unswervingly to our faith that we profess and keep adding to it. Because we, we had this scripture in our studies. It said this, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
So we have to watch not just what we know here, but how we live it out. Because if we don't, we can hurt other people around us. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to bring people here, invite them out, love them, and show them what what living like Christ looks like. Even though we're flawed, man, we just got to do our best and keep growing. We got to hold unswervingly to the faith we profess now and continue to add to it. So we can be a light shining on a hill to others and build up this church community that God has blessed us with. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves. We want to build it up and be amazing disciples love Christ, focus on how he lived his life, and share his word. I'm going to pray for communion. Thank you. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for allowing me to share today, God. Um, thank you for this extended family. Thank you for everything you've uh, done in our lives, God. I just know that you love us more than we can ever even imagine, God. But I pray that we can come just closer to, 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 to encompassing the love that you have for us, God. No matter what we're going through, just let us remember, God, that you have plans for prosperous, not to harm us, God. You want to do great things for us, God. I pray that we have the heart to continue to grow, to dig into your word, to seek your face, and to live it out for others, God, to see. I pray that our church continues to love one another and we continue to grow. I would like to pray for, for Brian Craig and his amazing example and his health and his heart and just what he means to all of us here, God. I just thank you and I praise you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.